All right, welcome in for another edition of the Brigham Beat. My name is Caleb, as always, bringing you weekly coverage for the BYU Cougars and the Big 12 as a whole. And today, as you can see, I've got a special guest, uh, Drake Toll, who he was just telling me that not only is he a special guest to this episode of our podcast, but on top of that, a special guest in Provo this week. Um, Drake, I know you're doing Locked On Big 12, and it's because of that role that you're coming out here to Provo this week. Yeah. Um, is this your first time in Provo? No, man. I, I've been to Provo once before. It was last year for Baylor and BYU and uh, blown away. We'll keep the alliteration going. Blown away <laughs> with what, what the Cougars are about from a faith standpoint, from a from a culture standpoint for sure. And then to get to see it in Lavelle Edwards Stadium was was special. I, mean, I, I just remember in the fourth quarter of that game, you know, they bring out the the fire dancers and they bring yeah. out Cosmo and, and obviously everything. I mean, it just it is stimu- overstimulation. It's an overload of just stuff happening on the field. I remember having complete chills just seeing such a a special fan base and a special atmosphere in Provo for that game. And man, I, I expect it again. The bar has already been set very high by BYU itself. And so this is my second time coming back. I did not, I did not eat a cougar tail the first time. We will avenge that this weekend. We we need to get you one. Yeah, the uh badly, the cougar badly. tails <laughs> I, I was last in Provo for the same Houston game and the, there was a little bit of a quality issue i think all the frosting was coming up on the wrapping so hopefully that's not an issue this week for you we'll get you a good cougar tail the um the game the atmosphere like you're talking about though i feel like honestly coming into independence they had to improve that a ton because i mean you look at our schedules those first couple of years and we're playing idaho new mexico state i mean fcs teams in november and you have to keep fans entertained at the stadium and when you've got Mm -hmm. three or four boring home games you got to find some way to do it and as our schedules improved, our game atmosphere improved all at the same time. And this become honestly quite a spectacle in Provo. Yeah, it was great. I, I have been to Tuscaloosa. I have seen games across the SEC and the big 12 and, and, and random games across college football, but nothing has come close to Lavelle Edwards stadium. And I don't say that hyperbolically. Uh, it is, it is the best atmosphere that I've seen in college football because of the, I would say, because the, I think unity may be a weird word, but it seems like all the fans have one, <laughs> have one goal and that is just to be as raucous as loud and as sober as possible. And it is, it is such an intimidating atmosphere for anybody who walks into it. And we're excited obviously for the big 12 to get to know us. Obviously it was maybe a little disappointing that our big 12 home opener was against Cincinnati and not one of the hateful eight, but Mm -hmm. nonetheless, I mean, it's going to be an exciting game here in Pro Bowl. We're excited to have you out for it too. Um, What's your time in Pro Bowl going to look like? Yeah, so I'll be at the soccer game on uh, on Thursday afternoon, evening, 7 o'clock. I'll be on with Ben Criddle in the afternoon in studio at 5.30. And then uh, on Saturday, I got, well, I gotta, all the days got to make sense here. On <laughs> Friday, game day, I will be um, BYU Sports Nation, possibly on with those guys. You know, Jerem, I, I know Jerem pretty well, and he does a, a spectacular job. That whole show is great. Yeah. And then that afternoon, obviously, on game day, 6 o'clock call time, I'll be on game day uh, with The Rock right there. And <laughs> apparently the commish may be in town. I'm hearing there are murmurs Dennis Pitta might be involved in this whole thing. So I, I am so excited to have the honor to one of these things does not belong here and it is me i i am the odd man out of this rotation so uh i'm excited just to get there and to meet a lot of the students who go to byu to be able to hopefully you'll know, fire up the student section pregame and join all those just the the complete list of wonderful media that byu has to offer uh to be around those guys is going to be great as well and then on saturday morning up early seven o'clock flight from provo to orlando uh gonna watch ucf's 
Big 12 home opener as well. So a whole lot of football going on this weekend. Man, jam-packed weekend for you. Yeah. Uh, I know I speak for myself here, but, I mean, it's just been such an honor to to be a part of the Big 12 for BYU. Mm-hmm. We've been trying for something like this for a long time. And I feel like this year is kind of a transitory season with Texas and Oklahoma on their way out. Obviously, we have the new four coming in this year and another four, the four corners coming in next year. Um, looking at the Big 12 as a whole, I'm just kind of curious your thoughts as far as you look at the, the current landscape right now, mm-hmm. Texas and Oklahoma are really the only two competitors that we see from the Big 12 this year, unless maybe Kansas or Kansas State can step up. But moving forward with the 16-team Big 12 that we have, who knows how long it'll even only be 16 right. teams. But um, I guess what what's the standing and I guess like the tier, I guess you could say, as far as the Big 12 moving forward in the future? Yeah, for, for the Big 12 right now, you are competing against a bunch of conferences that don't seem to have either identities or cohesiveness. There are so many things across college football that are pushing against leagues like the ACC who have members that want to disband that conference. Leagues like the Big Ten who have members like USC and UCLA who do not belong in that league culturally. For the Big 12, this 16-team Big 12, everybody fits to me one same mold. And that mold is blue collar. These programs, these fan bases have been through a lot historically, always being seen as the underdogs. When you look at Big 12 football, you don't see a lot of national championships. BYU is one of the few schools that can claim one uh, out of this 16 group of 16 teams. So to me, you're looking at a, a group of schools who all have just this this knowledge of what it is like to be forgotten in college football. It's what it is. It's 16 teams that have always faced adversity because for TCU, they're not the biggest show in the state. It's always been Texas or Texas A&M. For a a BYU, you've always been pushing against Utah. For Utah, you've always been pushing against BYU. Uh, Arizona and Arizona State were never the kings of the Pac-12. It was always USC and UCLA or Oregon. And now these teams get a chance to showcase, hey, look, We might have been forgotten by college football historically, all of us in our own unique ways, right? You look at UCF, which is a relatively new Division I program, and they feel forgotten or they feel unloved because of the success that has been overlooked because of their group of five status. Now you put them at a conference with other teams who feel that in a similar uh, similar way. It makes, to me, a special place, a special culture in the Big 12 where we all look around and say, hey, look, we're happy to still be Power 5, Power 4 together, excluding Arizona State. For some reason, they hate the Big 12. They're the outlier right now. I have no idea why they're, they are as brash as they are about this whole thing. Yeah, I, Arizona State's hubris around the whole situation has just been shocking because they were not at the top of the list, I feel like, for any of the conferences looking to add teams here. Um, and it, I feel like it's kind of fascinating with the Big 12, too, because you look at the last 10 to 15 years, almost every single one of the 16 schools has had a season good enough to get them into the 12 team playoff the way it's going to be formatted in the future. And not many conferences can say that there's not very many bottom dwellers you have. I mean, Kansas who has been historically, but you look at them the last couple of seasons under Lance and it's been a completely different animal. I mean, we just saw it last week. They ran all over us in the second half. Their defense was, I mean, exhausting to play against. And you look at a team like Colorado who, I mean, a couple of years ago, they had the Pac-12 championship. They haven't had much success. And all of a sudden, in one year, Dion has them as the must-watch football. It's kind of crazy. I mean, every one of these 16 teams is going to have high expectations. Maybe it's not every single year, year in and year out. There's one front runner. But Mm -hmm. with that many quality programs, you're always going to have three or four teams at the top that 
feel like they're good enough to make a dent in the new 12 team playoff. Yeah. Um, with that said, I mean, what teams do you think are most positioned to be successful in the 12 team playoff era moving forward? I love it. I love it. None of them and all of them. That's the beauty of the Big 12. I've Perfect been racking, answer. <laughs> right. I've been racking this question in my brain for weeks now. If Who is the big team? I do believe that BYU, because of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is a power, power player in the new Big 12. You think about this. They are the flagship school. BYU is the flagship school of one of the fastest growing religions in the world. There are so many people who overlook that and don't understand that. You don't even have to be a member of the LDS community and still understand how big of an impact that is on BYU and how big of an impact it is when BYU goes and plays a game in Ames, Iowa, and yeah. 40% of the stadium is BYU because there are so many members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have been sent on mission to Iowa and want to go watch BYU play. That's where that impact comes in. So many people are watching BYU. Uh, I, I, there was a stat the other day somebody threw out on my show saying that it's number one, Texas, number two, BYU nationally in viewership the last decade. That is unbelievable. And it's because of the international poll that BYU has. So when I think about teams that are best suited brand-wise, BYU is up there. Obviously, Utah is one back-to-back Pac-12 champions. They are the, the cream of the crop in that league. They will continue to be good under Kyle Whittingham if he stays, which is there are murmurs, a loud conversation in Utah that he might not want to lead Utah into this new, especially as, as I don't want to say uh, anti-Big 12. He hasn't been anti-Big 12, but he surely hasn't been excited about this move. So I, I'm he... not sure I've heard one positive word out of his mouth. No, no, not much. Uh, so will he carry Utah into the Big 12? That's a question mark. Colorado and Deion Sanders, uh, yeah, we were all buying it. Now we're all kind of like, oh, no, it, it's still a little in limbo. They're going to be a huge brand. But if anybody is well well suited to win in the in the Big 12 over the course of the next five to ten years, it is the irate eight. The teams that have been Power 5 for a long time at a at a very high level who have competed with Texas and Oklahoma, you look at the Pac-12 over the course of the last five or six years and say, all right, who is your big force? Ooh, it's kind of tough to circle one yeah. program. Like the, the Big 12 can circle Oklahoma and, and say, look at this college football playoff appearance and this one and this one. And, and they have been such a crucial cog in what this league has been. Uh, the Pac-12 has been a revolving door of teams that are good, teams that are bad, and then you have your bottom dwellers, which the last few years have been your Arizona, Arizona State, even there for a long time, Oregon State, Washington State, who now are are prominent in college football, which I think is a good thing for the sport. But with the Big 12, who who is it? Who's the big dog? Who are the teams best set up for success? I do believe it's that irate eight, the the hateful eight, because – they have seen this. They have seen this conference. They've seen this league, the culture of it for so long. I think they're going to have the leg up on everybody else for at least the first few years. And yeah, I mean, we saw with Utah and TCU making their transition. There's some training wheels you got to eventually knock off before you can get and become a power in the conference. And both, TCU which doesn't take, Utah. doesn't always take long. Doesn't always yeah. take long. You know, TCU it took them a, a couple of years, and they were in Utah a little bit longer. So. We'll see. You know, BYU could be competing for a Big 12 title in two years, for sure. And I, I feel like the team that – I mean, there's a lot of buzz around them, but UCF, just the way that they recruit, how cool and experienced Gus Malzahn has made that program. They're a team where, I mean, I, I feel like they're going to be a nightmare to face, whether it's, you know, an explosive offense. They have a surprisingly stingy defense in a few positions as well. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like, the last I saw, they're leading the conference in the recruiting rankings, according to 24-7, going into next yeah. season. They, I mean, 
Gus Malzahn's won a title. We've seen him do it before at Auburn. And I, I think that UCF could be one of those teams that becomes a conference power. I mean, the Florida State, Miami, and Florida are going to have a lot to say about that. They want to knock them down at every chance they have. But UCF getting to the podium that they're on in the Big 12 now with how large of a student base they have, Florida is just going to have more and more UCF fans growing up out there. It's going to be interesting to see, I guess, their rise in the Big 12. Yeah, you know, UCF and Texas Tech are right there for recruiting in 24, which it says a lot about Texas Tech, so I do want to throw them Man. out as well. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned them moving forward. They're going to be a great player with Joey McGuire, despite their struggles this year. For UCF, that that is a recruiting hotbed, and you're right. You're competing against Florida, Florida State. The weird thing about those schools, though, is, is Billy Napier, is he going to be at Florida in the next two or three years? Can he recruit with himself being on the hot seat pretty squarely, even after a win against Tennessee? Florida State, will they be in the ACC? the Big Ten, the SEC, we don't know. Uh, Miami, we thought for the longest time there would be a coaching change there, and then they beat a reeling Texas A&M team, and now everybody's decided that, all right, Miami can stay play, stay where it is. Uh, so for me, as it looks, UCF has a leg up in recruiting. They have a, a great coaching staff. Obviously, the team this year is highly competitive. I, th I think they beat Baylor by two, three touchdowns this weekend as well. Wow. They are going to be a an eight or nine win team this year, which says a, which says a lot in your first season. And moving forward, yeah, you know, of of the new schools from a talent standpoint, who can win now? I do think of those four that came in this year, UCF is probably at the top of that. Yeah, and I'm I mean, next year is just going to be a ton of fun with all sixteen teams. I'm excited to get oh, the yeah. schedule out, but. For now, we're still here in 2023, and obviously you're coming out here to Provo this week. Let's talk a little bit about the BYU-Cincinnati game that we're going to be watching. And, I mean, first off, it was very interesting to watch the spread. BYU opened as a favorite, and then quickly, within a couple of days, it shifted almost five full points from BYU three-point favorite. I think it's now Cincinnati is a two-point favorite. Yeah. And I think that just goes to show the uncertainty around these two programs, even four games in. Um Going into this one, I mean, what would you call the keys to the game for, for each of these teams? Yo, know, Cincinnati's offense is sneaky, sneaky good. You look at it, they only put up six points against Oklahoma. They lost to Miami of Ohio. It, it's, it is weird to me that Cincinnati at 2-2 two and two with losses to Miami of Ohio and a game where they didn't score a touchdown against Oklahoma, they get to be favorites on the road against a team that went and beat Arkansas in Fayetteville. Right? It doesn't make a lot of sense in my brain. One of the reasons why is how sneaky good their offense is, 488 yards per game. And the big reason why is the resurgence of Emory Jones. He was never a great quarterback at Arizona State, but it's not Arizona State Emory Jones. It is Cincinnati Emory Jones. And to this point, he has been surprisingly good. I had a Big 12 analyst text me preseason and say Emory Jones will be the worst quarterback in the Big 12. And there for a bit, we didn't have a reason to, to disagree with that. I was like, oh, yeah, you know. Probably so. Last year, obviously a wild year for Emory Jones, uh, him being at Arizona State, but he's already matched his touchdown totals. He has 970 yards passing as well, and his completion percentage at 62.1 is not bad compared to where he's been the rest of his career. Um, I, I just, he has been a guy that surprisingly has helped Cincinnati be in games, win games like that road win against Pitt, which was a, a shocker. Um, to myself, and I think a lot of people in media. So Emory Jones, stopping him will be the key. Now, BYU defensively, that is under 200 yards per game allowed passing. That is unfathomable compared to where they were last year. Like, I go back. It doesn't and even I, make sense. <laughs> no, it blows my mind. I, I grew up in Arkansas, a town called Valonia, shout out. 
And I watched every down of that Arkansas-BYU game last year, and I just thought, oh, my gosh. BYU, despite the Baylor win, they're not ready. This is terrible. Like, the, the, the defense, they were in the game, and then the fall apart was so disheartening. And I just didn't know, you know, how can this defense recover? Well, they have. Uh, un, un, unbelievable defense for BYU in the passing game, especially the secondary has been so good. And then Keaton Slovis, he is going to be what makes this team tick. The run game's bad. Let's be honest with ourselves here, Caleb. It, oh, the, the, run, the run game is embarrassing. Bad, which starts, and I know people can always make the case like, oh, you know, it starts with it. It's the running backs, of course. So that's why the running game is bad. No, it's the offensive line. It's always the offensive line. Uh, case in point, when I was in school at Baylor, we had a linebacker. Linebacker <laughs> earn all Big 12 honors at running back because the offensive line was so good. If you've got a competent O-line, put me or you back there with the ball, we can get two or three yards. Uh, for BYU, right now the run game is so bad that it is on Keaton Slovis almost squarely to win football games. He is not. He is not Pitt Keaton Slovis. He is not USC Keaton Slovis. He is BYU Keaton Slovis. Right? We have to reinvent who this kid is as a quarterback, and so far he has been Good. He has not been great. He has not been spectacular. There are some throws that he makes and you say, oh my gosh, Keaton Slovis. I didn't know you had that in you. Other throws he makes and you go, ah, it's Keaton Slovis. That's Keaton Slovis. You know, like you look at the Arkansas game, some of the incompletions, you're thinking, ooh, all right. Like that, that's those are throws that a young quarterback makes. Uh, and then some of the completions, you think, nope, like how did he put that ball where he put it? So I continue to be just it it is a it's mind-boggling watching Keaton Slovis because again some downs you think oh wow what a world beater other downs and other dr complete drives you think ooh that drive was stalled by Keaton Slovis so for him if he's on the A game for a, not all game but for a good portion of this contest against Cincinnati BYU is going to be okay I do have him as a top five quarterback in the Big 12 still because this year's this this year's Big 12 is not quarterback heavy you have a lot of question marks for a lot of teams so for the Cincinnati defense that allows 228 pass yards per game which is really good Keaton Slovis is going to have to hit that 300 mark if BYU wants to win securely and it's interesting kind of what you mentioned there with both Keaton Slovis being a transfer quarterback in from Pitt, USC, Emory Jones. This is also his third school. And I feel like it's just kind of the way college football is moving now that journeyman quarterback are going to be more and more of a staple on offenses. And it's not really necessarily how college teams want to prepare for the quarterback position, but it's just kind of how it goes. And like you said, the estimations that Emory Jones is going to be the worst quarterback in the country, you just, you never know how well a quarterback is going to fit in a system until you actually watch them play in it. And so you look at Slovis and look at Emory Jones, two quarterbacks that probably regret their performance the last year, and both of them have their teams playing well enough to win big games this year. And that quarterback matchup, I feel like, is going to be the story of the game because both defenses are good in different ways and both offenses are bad in different ways. BYU's offense is honestly – they're not putting up the yards they need to, especially in the run game, but they are elite once they get to the red zone. They haven't the red zone, missed out. Yep. Yeah, they, they score every time they get there. A lot of them touchdowns. They've had a couple of field goals against Kansas. And then Cincinnati, they are elite when it comes to the 20 to the 20. But once they get into the red zone, they can't score. They become almost FCS team there. And so it'll be interesting to see how BYU's defense holds when Cincinnati gets to the red zone, if they can keep up those red zone woes, and if the offense can score when they actually get there. I, I have a feeling that BYU is not going to have many red zone opportunities just because of how stingy the Cincinnati defensive line is 
We're not going to be able to consistently run the ball. I, I don't expect it to be magically fixed six days after the Kansas game where we ran for nine yards. So I'm hoping that there's a good enough offensive output there for BYU to withstand the blows. I'm not sure Cincinnati is going to be as putrid in the red zone as they were against Miami, Ohio, and Oklahoma. I mean, that honestly, the Miami, Ohio game, I still, you go back and look at all the numbers and it just does not make sense that Cincinnati no. lost that one. No, it doesn't. None of the, and, and you know, that was a bad, bad weekend, not a banner weekend for the big 12. Uh, <laughs> not but at I think all. You hit the nail on the head, Caleb quarterback matchup. This game does come down to it. Some games don't uh, last week, Oklahoma state and Iowa state. I didn't believe would come down to the quarterback matchup. It did more so than I was expecting. Uh, but there are some games you think, Hey, the defense is what's going to win this or the running game or offensive, you know, the line of scrimmage. Yeah. This week it really is. If Keaton Slovis can get out of the pocket and create, which he's not very good at doing. He's not a creator. Um, and hence why he's his forced rushing... to be in this offense, which is right. Not how it should be. Not how it was designed. Not at all. And, and that's why his, uh, that's why his rushing yards are in the negative right now for the season yeah. is because he doesn't want to have to create. He is a, he's a pocket passer. If you look at, uh, at the way he's at the way he was graded um, all, even, even as he was being recruited, I just, you, you can't ask this guy to run for 60 yards a game. And Emory Jones has a little bit more than that than Keaton Slovis. So can can Keaton create inside the pocket, outside the pocket, despite not being a creator? That's what's going to keep BYU in some games this year. Try to keep the play alive when the offensive line breaks down. He can do that. BYU is in a good spot. Uh, this week, I do give the quarterback edge to Keaton Slovis because his arm, to me, has a top two, top three upside in the Big 12. And just touching on that, um, We've kind of highlighted a lot of the key matchups here in the game. It's going to be interesting to watch, like you said, the quarterbacks. If BYU's running back, running back production stays as you know porous as it has been so far. How, how do you see this one playing out? I don't know if you want to give out a, a score prediction here. I personally, myself, I'm seeing a super defensive game. I think the Cincinnati Oklahoma game is going to kind of be what we see here. And my personal instinct is somewhere around the world of BYU 17 to 13. I think that it's just going to come down to who can score more in the red zone. It's going to be a grinded out, just brutal game. Uh, how, how do you see this one playing out? Please do not subject me to a 17 to 13 <laughs> football game on Friday night. Uh, yeah. You know, Cincinnati's offense has not been world beating. Their defense has been solid. They were really good against Oklahoma too. Spectacular, obviously on the road against Pitt to get that win. The defense helped them win that, especially coming up big late as Pitt mounted a comeback for BYU. Similar tale. You know, the defense has been what has made them so good. What I want to point to, I'm going to push back here. What I want to point to is the Iowa State-Oklahoma State game last week. We saw two good defenses against two handicapped offenses or offenses that had uh, legitimate deficiencies in certain areas that exploded. You know, they, they took advantage of a of competition that matched them. You know, hey, here's a team that thinks that the defense is going to dominate. Let's go out and, and just throw out the kitchen sink offensively. I think we see that on Friday night, knowing that this game is in front of a, you know, the national audience, you kind of get to captivate folks on a Friday night who aren't out watching high school. I, I do believe this game goes into the higher scoring realm where BYU's hung out kind of in that 30 plus points over the last couple of weeks in that 30 range, at least uh, give me, give me that kind of game. Give me a BYU 35 at Cincy 24. This is a, you know, this is a 35 to, to um, you know, 35-21 game as we go to the fourth quarter. Since he puts up some points early in the fourth, that we stall out there. I, I I see the BYU offense getting a good early spark at home, using the home crowd, home Big Twelve crowd at its at its advantage. And 
I, I see BYU winning this game by double digits. Not a not a blowout per per se. If you watch the game, you understand that Cincinnati fought hard. But three losses in a row now for the Bearcats, and BYU improves to four and one. By the I, way, I Caleb. That- don't hold that against me because I'm, I'm probably going to give a different score on Friday. I'm going to give a different score on my show. I'm, I'm probably going to give 17 different scores. So, but that for now, let's go with that. Almost every hour, my you know thoughts on this game change, and I really do feel like BYU is better suited to win the game where points are being scored because to this point, we've done well in the red zone on offense and defense, and the more that both of those sides get to you know show their strengths, the better it is for us. Um, but I just. After sitting through the entire 60 minutes of the Sam Houston game and watching how bad our run game has been, it's hard for me to think that our offense is is going to score against the defense against Cincinnati. So it'll be a super interesting one to watch there. Mm -hmm. Um, Just real quick before we let you go, I just wanted to see what other games you have your eye on this weekend here in the Big 12. Yeah, obviously Texas and Kansas is going to be a big one. That that spread is way too big. I've seen it as as high as 17 and a half this week. So give me Kansas to actually cover 17 and a half um or buy it up to that if you if you have it. I I I think that game's probably a 10-point game. Um but but Kansas at least shows some fight against Texas, maybe even take a first half there. Uh, Texas Tech steamrolls Houston, you know, the eight and a half point favorites. I don't think that game is going to be close. Baylor will lose to UCF by double digits. Iowa State, Oklahoma. I have Iowa State covering 20 points easily, easily. That's maybe maybe my lock of the week is Iowa State plus 20 against Oklahoma. TCU and West Virginia, Frogs should not be 12.5-point favorites. West Virginia ground and pound. C.J. Donaldson is the best running back in this game because of his ability to get behind the offensive line and utilize the offensive line. West Virginia might lose by a score, but they turn this into a slugfest. Uh, Cincinnati, BYU, I already gave it to you, 35-24 Cougars. Yeah, the, the West Virginia spread being as big as it was, the Kansas spread, the Iowa State, it all didn't make too much sense to me. The wild, like, wild dogs in the Big 12 this week. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how much Vegas knows as far as those go. But I put, we're going to see a lot of close games besides, like you said, maybe the Texas Tech-Houston one, which ironically is one of the closest spreads at only eight points this week. Um, yeah. Well, Drake, really appreciate your time here with us. I mean, it's been great to get to – know you and, and your thoughts about the big 12 Cincinnati and BYU, the game coming up. Hopefully you love your time in Provo. Um, we'll make sure that you get a cougar tail. Hopefully it's a life changing experience for you. And we'll look forward to your next time in Provo after this one. I can't wait, Caleb. I cannot wait. I, I'm excited. And um, I may be repping some BYU over the course of the week. We'll see. Well, you better be. If not, we'll get you a blue shirt to throw on. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks Drake. Safe travels. Thank you, Caleb.